Welcome to the Faith Women Podcast. We're a community of women at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North Carolina, that desires to honor the Word of God, to support our church, and to encourage each other as we know, grow, serve, and go. Through these episodes, we'll be introducing you to our ministry team, sharing truth from God's Word, and challenging you to grow in your love for the Lord and those He's called you to serve. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Okay, I think that might be it. If not, we can welcome the the wanderers in later. Um, Okay, so you'll see there's like a blank note page in your sheet. And then, you know, my type B self was like a a blank note sheet, whatever, it's no big deal. And then I was like, you know, somebody might want to fill in the blanks. So my sweet father-in-law printed off some fill in the blanks for you guys. And he he had um, like certificate paper in the printer, so it's extra fancy. So you guys can pass this around. I was like, wow, you think a lot of me. So yes, extra fancy. We'll pass that around. Well, welcome. You are in when reconciliation isn't reality. So if um, you're in the wrong session, you can scoot out with no judgment. Um, But I am Erin Thornton, and I'm happy you're here. Um, Everybody's getting the note sheet now, but we'll pass that around. So it's been a good weekend. Um, Super glad that you guys came in general to the whole weekend, but I'm grateful that you're here in this session as well. And, And I'm also very aware of the fact that because you're in a session about broken relationships, you can come in, Megan. Because you're in a session about broken relationships, that it's also, um, it carries a heaviness uh, with it. And so I realize that there are a lot of hurts represented in the room, hurts that I know nothing about. Um, But I think we can acknowledge from the beginning that everything you hear from me is, is knowing that you may have been hurt or are being hurt. And also please know that I have been praying for each of you that would be in this room, um, praying for God's truth to comfort our hearts. So that's where we are today. Um, you know, all of us have no doubt been hurt. We live in a sin-soaked world. And so that reality is, is all of ours to bear. Um, and I think it's also human nature to find to kind of think of yourselves in terms of the offended party. And what I mean by that is when reconciliation is brought up, we often um, in, initially let our mind go to a relationship where somebody has sinned against us, right? Um, you know, our first reaction is to think about that person who hurt us or drove a wedge between us. And I think that's human nature, and that's okay. It's also kind of the, the way I titled the, the, the class today, and so it kind of draws your mind to that. And, and again, that's just the way we think. You know, even I, when Kirsten asked me to, or Jessica asked me to do this, my first reaction was to the relationship I have in my life that is still currently unreconciled. And that's just naturally where our brain goes, probably. And um, so with that being said, 
I don't want to say that that's necessarily wrong, but we're Christians. And so the way we think is also countercultural, not just the way that we do life, but the way we think is countercultural. So I'm going to kind of throw something out to us um, to kind of orient the way that we think about reconciliation before we really even dig in too much. So a distinct way of thinking about this topic is that, you know, we have to remind ourselves that the title of Christ follower suggests that our ultimate reality is that we are living in a reconciled relationship with the God of the universe. That's our ultimate reality. Um, And that despite our best efforts to destroy it, He still brought us near, forgave us, trusted us and welcomed us into sweet fellowship and that's the reality that we live in so I want to be clear from the beginning you know when the word reconciliation is brought up I've prayed this for us I've prayed it for myself but especially you ladies in this room as well that like our first thought that we would be so bathed in the truth of the gospel that when we hear reconciliation our first thought wouldn't be to that relationship where somebody's hurt us But that our first thought would be to what Christ did on Calvary on our behalf, right? He made a way for us to be right with God through the precious, sinless blood of Jesus Christ. And that should be our ultimate thought when we think of uh, reconciliation. That's our first thought. You know, we were the offending party in our relationship with God. We were. And Christ stopped at nothing in His love to reconcile us to the Father. And I want to read, you can jot this down if you want to on your notes, but I'll read it to you. This is Colossians 1, 19-22. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of evil behavior, but now He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in His sight, without blemish and free from accusation. That is our good news. And that's where we're going to start. Because nothing else matters if we don't start with the foundation of the gospel. So, I'm going to have you turn. If you have your scripture with you, turn to Corinthians 5. It's 2 Corinthians 5. It's interesting. She read it in her last, uh, her last session. Courtney did. 2 Corinthians 5, 14. Actually, we're going to start in 15 through 20. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 20. And I will read it to you. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know Him in this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ, and given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And He committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making His appeal through us, 
we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. All right, so if you want to leave that out, you can. We're going to reference it uh, several times. But I want to lay out, number one, just the foundation of our reconciliation. And your first point there is reconciliation is always possible through the death of Christ. Reconciliation is always possible through the death of Christ. Until Christ's second coming, there is time to reconcile both with God and with each other. And this is good news. This is good news. The time is now, like Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. And I think maybe it would be helpful before we get too far into this to go ahead and define our terms, right? Um, what is reconciliation? Now, this is a great book. It's actually at the bookstore, which may be closed by now, but Amazon, I'm sure, can get it for you. The Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. He has a whole ministry. There's actually a lot of a few resources here that you're welcome to grab with you, but he has just fantastic stuff. He even has like the Peacemaking Family for like Family Edition and Young Kids. Um, so he's got all kinds of good stuff, and so I'm going to reference him several times today. And Ken Sandy defines reconciliation by saying, To be reconciled means to replace hostility and separation with peace and friendship. To replace hostility and separation with peace and friendship. So this doesn't necessarily mean that you're best friends with the person that you reconcile with if you weren't best friends with them before. Right? It just means that you, the relationship is restored to as good as it was before the conflict. Um, so if this is a co-worker and you had a good working relationship and something happened, then this is reconciliation is getting back to that good working relationship. But if this is a marriage, then reconciliation is to go back to as good as it was before the conflict. Right? And so... Some of you may be in this room and you've got, you've got relationships that are difficult. Most of us probably in this room have relationships that are difficult. But some of you may have really tough ones. And you may either be in a place where you've kind of stiff-armed it and said, oh, it's better not to even think about it because it's just too painful. Or you may be in a spot where you literally cannot keep from thinking about it because it is too big. It affects every aspect of your life. And so you may be weary you may be very weary as you walk in this room, and you may be feeling hopeless. And, and, and with that hopelessness, you may be thinking, like, there's literally no way that God can fix this. And um, I would suggest to you that replace hopeless with helpless. And what I mean by that is that Scripture is very clear. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, but he says to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. <coughs> so because of Christ, I am pleased in weaknesses, in insults and in catastrophes and persecutions and in pressures for when I am weak, then I am strong. So, not if I am weak, but when I am weak. And basically, that also means that your strength on your own accord is an illusion. <laughs> you're not strong, my friend. If you're in the place where you kind of think, I, I can stiff arm this, I can leave it over here, whatever, you're not strong. 
But if you're also in the place where I am broken and I am weak, then praise God, you are strong if you turn to Christ in your weakness. Now, we are, you know, we're hard-pressed but not crushed, as Scripture says. So even in our, our helplessness, we are never hopeless because of Jesus. Because of Christ, there's not just time to reconcile, but there is assurance that He is able to reconcile all. In fact, we just read it in 2 Corinthians 5, but we have actually been left here on earth and given the ministry of reconciliation. And I love that she hit on it too, because we're going to spend some time here. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation, meaning that our job is to bring the hope and truth of what God has done for us in Christ to those who are at enmity with God. It's actually why God left us here. He could have saved us and taken us right on to glory. And some days I'm like, you know, why didn't he? You know, like, like she said the first night, I, I think he missed a good opportunity to just take me on to glory. But he didn't do that. He's too gracious to the lost sheep to just save us and zoom us out of here. We're here for the lost. He left us here to be those ministers of reconciliation. And he wants us to tell the weary world that this reconciliation we have in Jesus Christ is one that they can have too. We've been left here to be gospel proclaimers. And this gospel message is one of replacing hostility and separation with peace and friendship with the God of the universe. Isn't that what Christ did for us? I mean, He replaced the hostility and enmity we had because of sin with what we enjoy now, which is peace and a nearness to Him. He even made us His dwelling place. That's as near as it gets. That's good news. Now, some of you may be thinking, like, that's cute, Aaron. I mean, it's, it's all great in theory. I appreciate that. But you don't know how bad it is. Or you don't know how bad my marriage is. Or you don't know that relationship with a family member, how broken it is. Or, Aaron, you don't know what they said to me last time I saw them. And I, I don't. I don't know. I know that the world is sinful and people are sinful and we carry massive hurts. But what I know is that if the chasm between me and a holy God could be bridged, you can be reconciled right? If we think that our relationship is past the ability of God to save and to restore, then perhaps we don't understand the damage our sin caused in our relationship with God and the depths to which Christ in His love went to reconcile us to Himself. So the point is that if I can be reconciled to God, you can be reconciled to anybody because that was a big old chasm, right? So we're going to talk about roles of reconciliation now. <clears throat> kind of now that we have our big picture of our spiritual <coughs> reconciliation, because it all starts there. It all starts with the gospel. Let's talk about the roles that we play in our earthly reconciliation with one another. Each party has a role to play in their earthly reconciliation with one another. Vodi Bakum said recently, Christ died not just to reconcile us vertically to himself, but horizontally to one another. 
This is part of why Christ died. There are two roles in any conflict. Two roles. There's an offender and offended. Okay? Any conflict has an offender and an offended. And the chances are, if the conflict goes on for any length of time, unless you're Jesus, you play both roles. You have probably been the offender and the offended in the, in the relationship. Okay? So I think it's important to keep in mind that as we talk about these roles, that only Jesus was 100% the innocent victim. Okay? If you're human, you've probably hurt the other person in some way. Even if that other person carries the lion's share of the hurting. So let's talk about the offending party's role. They've got one and just one that we're going to talk about. So in order for there to be a successful reconciliation, the, the offending party must repent. It's, it's non-negotiable. Like repentance is necessary for our salvation and reconciliation to God, two parties can't be reconciled on earth unless the one who's done the hurting repents. And re repentant, we've heard repentance explained before, but repent is a military term. It means to turn from what you are doing. So it's not enough for you just for somebody just to say, I'm sorry, right? Their pattern of behavior has to turn. You know, I, a husband can't just say, I'm sorry I had an affair and keep having an affair. He's got to stop, right? That's repentance. But like we talked about a minute ago, even if you truly have been hurt by the other person, please acknowledge your sin in the matter. Acknowledge your sin. Repent of what you can repent of. Rosaria Butterfield said one time, if you want to be happier as a Christian, repent more. And I love that. It's so true. It's freeing. Everybody else knows you're not perfect. It's time to admit it, right? <laughs> so, now we're going to move on to the role of the offended. When you um, say repent, you mean repent to God or repent to the person? If you have publicly sinned against that person, you need to repent to them as well. But yes, repent to God, and then as public as the sin was, make the repentance that public as well. Okay, so <clears throat> the role... Of the offended. We're going to talk about this more than the, sorry, yeah, the role of the offended. So we're going to talk about this more because most of us are sitting in this room as the one who's probably been hurt because you're here, right? You want to fix it. You want to figure it out. Um, and so we're going to park ourselves here. The offended, the offended party should, one, practice forgiveness. They should practice forgiveness. It's been said many times that Christians should be the most forgiving people in the world because we've been forgiven the most, right? Forgiveness is a choice. Ken Sandy says in his book, forgiveness is an act of the will. <coughs> forgiveness is an act of the will. And listen, you know, this is a room full of women, and God made women unique and distinct and beautiful, but we also have things that are corrupted by sin. And one of our things that tends to get us is that we have these feelings that tend to want to steer the ship, right? But the thing is, feelings lie. And I, I'm going to quote Rosaria again, but one time she came to church here and spoke and we talked in the restroom, so now I feel like we're, we're best friends like this. So I'm going to quote her again. Her book, Openness and Hindered, Unhindered, says, Your feelings fell with the fall. 
your feelings fell with the fall. And I don't have any tattoos currently, but I was considering tattooing that just like right here. I'm raising four daughters and um, I feel like they'll see it. And then when I look in the mirror, I'll see it as well. Your feelings fell with the fall. See, feelings aren't innately bad, but they are corrupted by sin, right? Meaning we can't just blindly trust how we feel. How often do feelings change? I mean, you can feel one way so strongly, and then three hours later, after a nap and a snack, you feel totally different, right? Feelings change. We have to take our feelings to the Word of God and make sure feelings submit to the truth of Scripture. Listen, rather than making everyone and everything else in your world submit to your feelings. And sometimes you have to choose to forgive even when you don't feel like it. Honestly, you're probably rarely going to feel like forgiving people. I mean, has anybody sat around in their workout clothes just thinking like, maybe if I put the clothes on, I'll feel like working out? <laughs> Lindsay. Lindsay said no. <laughs> maybe if I lace up the Nikes, I'll want to go work out or go for a run. No. no, it doesn't work like that, right? The truth is, if we know the right thing to do, we need to decide to do it. And oftentimes, our feelings will follow our obedience. <clears throat> James 4.17 says, If anyone knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is for them sin. So we choose to forgive even if the other party doesn't ask for forgiveness. And I think that's a key part of this. Forgiveness isn't contingent upon repentance. I heard somebody say, unforgiveness is the poison we drink hoping the other person will die. And that's so true. Forgive because of you, if nothing else. For unforgiveness will kill you. So what does it actually look like, though, to practically forgive? You know, the culture and even some Christian counseling will tell you, you know, don't put yourself in a position to be hurt again. Don't put yourself in a position where you're not valued or you're not esteemed. And listen, there's wisdom in some of that for sure. But we're, we need to think a little more counterculturally. You know, instead of saying things like, don't I need to punish them for that type of behavior so that they'll know what they did to me was not okay? Well, no. We don't, we don't need to punish them, right? They're not a dog. We don't need to rub their nose in it to train them. Um, Ken Sandy talks about in his book that the honest act of forgiveness with somebody implies that the behavior you're forgiving was not okay. If it was okay, you wouldn't say I forgive you. You'd say no biggie or don't worry about it. It's fine. And some of us probably say it's fine and we shouldn't. We should say, I forgive you. But you know what I mean. The honest act of forgiveness implies that what they did was not okay. And my husband and I are training our daughters that when we've identified like one of them sinning against the other, they need to go to their sister and they need to ask for forgiveness for the specific sin that they committed. And then that sister needs to look at her other sister and say, I forgive you for whatever it is. 
And oftentimes it's that moment when the offended sister says, I forgive you for that the other sister breaks down in tears. And that's where the emotion comes because forgiveness is powerful. Hearing somebody else forgive you is powerful. And you could be that for somebody else by practicing forgiveness. And when you forgive, you're choosing not to think about and rehearse the offense. And if this isn't the hardest thing to do, I don't know what is, okay? <coughs> it means you don't reserve your precious mental space and energy replaying what happened to you. Reliving it. Rewording the interaction to enchant your audience the next time you get a chance to talk about it, right? We laugh because we know. We practice it in the shower, don't we? <laughs> no, it's laying it at the foot of the cross. <laughs> where sin was punished once and for all. And it's not going back to the cross to pick it back up again. It's choosing not to remember. You see, there really is no forgive and forget. That's not a thing. We remember, right? But, but you can choose intentionally to not go there again, to not keep remembering it in your head. You know, God is our ultimate example of this. In that 2 Corinthians passage, it's talking about God's reconciliation. And it says that He is not counting men's sins against them. What good news. I'm so glad He forgave me in Christ. So, every time we forgive and choose not to bring back up an offense especially one that has been repented of and dealt with, it's an opportunity to image God to a world that desperately needs to see Him. <coughs> I think this is important to say. Forgiveness removes the separation, but not necessarily the consequences for the actions against you. Okay? So just like the fall ushered in major consequences for the rest of the world, for the rest of time, Sin has consequences, and you can forgive, and God forgave us in Christ, but look around, there's still consequences everywhere, right? He didn't remove all the consequences. But he's... Forgiveness. forgiveness doesn't remove the consequences for sin. Yeah. We still have consequences all around us. And listen, that's why we started where we did today. The foundation for our reconciliation is in the atonement of Jesus Christ. We have been forgiven. Our sin-stained robes given to Christ in exchange for His perfect white robes of righteousness. We have been made right with the Father. Like that perspective forever changes forgiveness for us. From drudgery to worship, right? It's no longer treachery. The truth is that we can't forgive without the gospel, at least not long term. But if you have been given a new heart with new desires through new birth in Christ, you can expect to have a level of joy in forgiveness. I love this verse from Ezekiel 36:26. It says he's given us a new heart and put a new spirit in us. He's replaced our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. And so with that new heart, we practice forgiveness. And when the thoughts come back about what they did to us or what they said to us, we forgive again 
it's not a one and done type thing. And then we forgive again and again and again. That's why we said practice it. Practice makes progress, right? All right. The second role of the offended party is to pray. Is to pray. We're going to pray for a couple things specifically. We're going to pray first for God to grant the gift of repentance to the one that is sinning against you. 2 Timothy 2.25 talks about repentance as a gift. Did you know repentance is a gift and a command in Scripture? It is. It's a gift and it's a command. But I don't think we often think of it as such. You know, we think of it as something we, we've just disciplined ourselves to do in our relationship with the Lord. And so I think frustration comes when we can't understand why the other person can't be as disciplined as us. <laughs> right? But what if repentance is granted by God? That changes the way we think of our own conversion, but it also changes the way that we pray for the person sinning against us. It, it brings in, ushers in this whole level of compassion that I don't think was there before. So we can pray for the other person to be given the gift of repentance just like you were given the gift of repentance in your relationship with God. So, second thing we're going to pray for is to pray for God to restore your relationship and in doing so bring glory to His name. Reconciliation brings glory to God's name because living in right relationship with both the Father and with others is how God designed it from the beginning. Okay? That's how it was supposed to be. John Piper said, God, in seeking His glory, seeks the good of His creatures because the emanation of His glory implies the happiness of His creatures which I love because I think we get the wrong idea about God being jealous for His glory. God is jealous for His glory, and He's jealous for His glory because He is holy, yes. But God's glory is our good. Always. Not always our ease, but always our good. So if we're going to pray for God to bring glory to His name by restoring relationships, then we need to listen to the Apostle James when he says, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. For the man who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. That's James 1, 6-7. So we pray believing whatever your situation is. It may be horrendous. But we can pray believing, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. That's why we said at the beginning, God is able to restore. No relationship is irreconcilable unless death separates you or Christ comes back. And that is good news, right? I may not have presented that right, but that is good news. No relationship is irreconcilable. If you pray for God to bring reconciliation, believe He can do it, sister. And if you find yourself not believing, perhaps you could pray like the father in Mark 9, whose son was being tortured by an unclean spirit, and he cried out to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. That's an honest prayer to pray to the Lord. Help my unbelief, Lord.
I believe you can. We get our ultimate example of praying through an unreconciled relationship by glancing at the cross. Luke 23, 34, that's where Jesus was being tortured on the cross. Remember the, the innocent victim, Jesus. He's being persecuted and tortured and ultimately murdered. And what does he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His last words were a cry for forgiveness. And likewise, in Acts 7, like we see that same interaction from Stephen, who's being stoned and martyred. And one of the last things he does is pray for the forgiveness of his persecutors. And we learned this from Pastor Stephen just a few weeks ago. But who was Stephen praying for? Who was persecuting him? Paul. Who was Saul? Who was then reconciled to God? That prayer was powerful, wasn't it? And what did Paul do? He took the gospel everywhere after that. He wrote half of our New Testament. That was a powerful prayer, a believing prayer from Stephen. And God answered it. It's difficult, nearly impossible, to pray for somebody's good while harboring hate in your heart towards them. Test me on it. Come back in a couple weeks, see how it's going. It's nearly impossible. All right. So, now that we've done all that, we're going to talk about living without reconciliation. You're probably thinking, finally, Aaron, finally. Like, this is the, you tricked me in here. This was the whole point of this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, now that we know God is able to restore all things to Himself, and likewise, He's able to restore us to each other. we got to understand that sometimes He chooses not to bring about reconciliation. And sometimes He just has long gaps where He allows unreconciled relationships. And I think the major question I want us to think about and, and kind of introspectively ask yourself is, as Christ followers, is Christ enough while we live without our reconciliation? Is Christ enough while we live without it? Or do we need Christ plus our nice, tidy relationship? Do we need Christ plus our nice marriage or Christ plus peace in our home or Christ plus our children walking with the Lord or Christ plus our good reputation or Christ plus our intact relationship with our in-laws? Like, do we need Christ plus? Let me tell you something that doesn't make sense to the world, and this is Christian math. Christ plus anything equals nothing. Christ plus anything equals nothing. We don't demand Christ plus even justice, and this is hard for those of us who are justice lovers. This is a big one. If the reconciling party is willing to repent and trust Christ, then justice has been done because they've turned to Christ and Christ the innocent has been crushed in their place. And if they don't repent, because a lot of us are living in that situation where they don't repent, Ecclesiastes 12.14 says, For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And so we can rest in the fact that He is good and just. 
And we don't demand justice that God has already satisfied in, in Christ Jesus on the cross. All earthly justice falls short. So, what do we do when we don't have the reconciliation we crave? You see, the truth is that God does not hold you responsible for results. Just great news. Okay? You can't control how another person acts, can you? Got any mothers in the room? Can you control how your child acts in public? Not always. <laughs> not always. So, you cannot control what the other person does. You can only control you. You are responsible for your obedience and no one else's. Which, this is like a praise God moment, right? <laughs> that we're not responsible for the outcome of difficult situations because uh, this is not our burden to bear. This is too big of a burden, too heavy of a burden. You trying to carry the burden of outcomes will crush you. That is Christ's burden to bear. That is the sovereign God's burden. Don't encumber yourself with His burden. Results are left in His hands. So, I thought it would be helpful to look at the life of Joseph briefly. Remember Joseph, coat of many colors, Old Testament? Okay. So, he, um, his life teaches us a lot about living without reconciliation. Joseph teaches us about living without reconciliation. His life spans many chapters in the book of Genesis, so we won't go through all of it, but we can talk through a lot of it. You see, Joseph was a man who learned that God was enough, but he had to be taught that. Joseph was highly favored by his father, and it really irritated his brothers. And so his brothers, what did they do? They, they went to kill him. They were going to kill him, and then they took the high road and sold him into slavery, right? So they sell him into slavery, and he was only about 17 years old. And he worked his way for many years into a better status. And, and then all that came tumbling down when he was accused of assaulting Potiphar's wife, wrongly accused, and then thrown back into prison, right? So far, I'm thinking he's probably had it worse than those of us in this room, but I don't, I don't want to assume what you got going. But I've never been like, tried to be murdered and then thrown into slavery and then accused of something I didn't do and then thrown back into prison. This is pretty bad. And we know that eventually, by God's providence, he works his way into a better position where he's like second in command to Pharaoh. And he's in Egypt, but all this time he knows that his flesh and blood has betrayed him, cruelly. And when Joseph was about 40 years old, a famine in the land drove his brothers to Egypt, to where he was in charge where the Lord had sovereignly placed Joseph there to help sustain the needs of the people during this extended time of famine. He spent 23 years estranged from his family, so he had plenty of time to dwell on the wrongs that had been done to him. Some of those years were in prison. Nothing but time to think, right? So I want you to take a few things, practical things, from the life of Joseph Joseph trusted in God's ultimate plan. That's one of your blanks there. Joseph trusted in God's ultimate plan. He knew that results weren't up to him, but his faithfulness was. 
Joseph said in Genesis 45, 5, after his brothers meet him and realize who he is, he says, And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Wow. That sounds like the words of somebody who practiced a lot of forgiveness during those 23 years estranged. Joseph believed in the sovereignty of God over the details of his unreconciled relationship. And he had an understanding that God uses even the wickedness of men to work out his good purposes. And he would have never chosen the hurt that he endured. But he still knew that God was good in it all. And when you trust God's sovereignty, there is rest for you. You'll be able to rest in the confidence that God's ultimate plan will not and cannot ever be thwarted. And what's the ultimate plan? The saving of souls. That's why he labeled us the ministers of reconciliation. That's why he left us here. It's for salvation that we are here. Like we said, Joseph spent 23 years estranged from his family, and so we don't know a whole lot about what happened during that time, but we know that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So while we don't know a ton, we do know that what we see is that his heart is ready and willing to accept the repentance of his brothers and welcome them back into, into fellowship. He had spent his unreconciled years um, if he had spent his unreconciled years practicing bitterness, we would have seen that come out of him. But we didn't. Number two there, Joseph put off bitterness. We have a record of this time that Joseph had a son in Genesis 41:51, and We see that son's name is Manasseh. Manasseh, which means forgetful. Saying that God has made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. Now, this is not a forgetfulness of what they had done to him or even what he had lost, because you don't forget that. No, this is an intentional not remembering, not counting man's sin against them. Joseph's second son was named Ephraim, which means fruitful. And what is bitter can also be sweet and fruitful. He put off bitterness by choosing not to remember the sins of his brother, naming his son forgetful, and then he was able to embrace the fruitfulness that God had for him exactly where he was, without wishing he was anywhere else. And lastly, we learn from Joseph that Joseph chose not to play the victim. Genesis 50, 19 and 20 says, But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. <clears throat> Joseph knew that to withhold forgiveness and wallow in victimhood usurped God's rightful place on the throne, as evidenced by him saying, am I in the place of God, right? What, what we mean by that is that if God had given his brothers divinely the gift of repentance which he did and Joseph had looked at his brothers and said nah I can't forgive you then all of a sudden Joseph is God of that situation right Joseph usurps God's role 
Who am I to say I don't forgive you if God has granted repentance for the other person? Self-pity and victimhood has a super narrow lens, and Joseph was able to see the big picture. He was a part of God's ultimate plan. You see, if Joseph hadn't been in Egypt, and he hadn't readily forgiven his family and welcomed his family into Egypt as well, then we would have never seen the expanse of God's people in Egypt. That's the site where God chose to grow his chosen people. And then he ultimately freed them out of there to the promised land after a while. So Joseph wasn't zoomed in to just his pain. Although he didn't have all the facts, he had a wide angle lens when he looked at his suffering. He didn't deny that it existed, but he knew that God was doing more than he could see. And the truth of your situation is as well that he is doing more than you can see. You can be assured of that. So as we close, I want to thank the Lord for the reconciliation that we have in Christ. That phrase we use so many times this weekend. And perhaps we can ask ourselves honestly before the Lord, is He enough for me? Or do I need my circumstances to change too? Is He enough while we wait for reconciliation? Is He enough while we pursue it and maybe never see it this side of heaven. I want to leave you with this truth from the psalmist. Psalm 34.10 says, They that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. So yes, friend, He is enough. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much. We thank You for what You've done in Christ. We thank You for our reconciliation to you, for the precious hope of the gospel that literally anchors us, God. We thank you that you've left us here to be your image bearers, to be the ministers of reconciliation. God, equip us. Encourage our hearts, Lord. The task is hard, but, but we don't operate in our own strength, Lord. We operate out of the abundance of grace that you've given us. Lord, change us, mold us, make us, and send us out as ministers of reconciliation. We ask these things in your holy name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Women Podcast. We hope you were both encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you join us at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville on a Sunday or at any of our special events. You can learn more about our ministry online at faithnc.org slash women. See you next month.